ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the gun rack, the Northern Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey, and with me, we have one Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin. He is here. And he is moments away, seconds away, by the time you hear this, from becoming a married man. How does that feel? It feels pretty awesome, not going to lie. I thought I wasn't going to get married till I was like 40 or something like that, mm-hmm. if at all. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this is an it's absolute all it win. for your body to become 40. I, it's really... Like in terms of crotchetiness. Yes, yes. It's really the true realization of the dad bod. Yeah. That's yeah. You've been <laughs> rocking that for as long as I've known you. Yes. Um, and you were like 24 at the time. So it works. It works. This man, sorry, fellas, off the market as of, uh, well, November 11th, mm-hmm. Veterans Day. Very exciting. Actually, I'm excited for us to uh, have some content for you guys for uh, that week. And of course, this week, we are going to talk about a process i just went through to choose a new carry gun we're going to make this a two-parter we're going to go through some of the ones that i looked at this week and then i think we actually have one in between part one and part two but then uh the second part will be what we actually picked and why and uh, i'm very excited for the opportunity to share it with you guys before we do that though as always drew poplin is on the clues drew's clues what do we have so last week's answer was the Galil Ace. Um, yes. A big favorite of Joey Upper. This oh, week, so good. we're going to mix it up a little bit. I'm not doing a particular firearm, uh-oh. but a firearms maker. Oh, uh-oh. Okay. Yeah, and uh, this one's a little bit older. Um, so pretty much to get this right, fill in the blanks. In 1868, blank. And his three sons, Wilbur, Charles, and Dexter, had started the Blank Blank Gun Company, which continued as an independent company until 1934 when it was purchased by the Remington Arms Company. It was phased out of business by 1942. Between 1867 and 1942, the company produced 242,000 guns at various price points, most of which were shotguns. And some of its famous users include... Annie Oakley and Tsar Nicholas II. So, who wow. am I talking about? What firearms manufacturer am I talking about? That's an excellent one. And actually, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. However, if you do, ladies and gentlemen of the gun rack, uh, what are we going to call our fans? And should we even call them fans? People that have. Uh, clicked on us by accident what yes. shall we call them i don't think we've ever ever discussed this i don't know maybe we should put it to them if they have any suggestions yes the 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 scourge the gun rack scourge the gun rack mafia are we gonna go new york with it Ooh, i, I kind of like the sound of that the gun rack mafia the gun rack mafia okay folks of the gun rack mafia and if you have a better idea than the gun rack mafia you send it to marketing at sdi.edu and you tell us what you think fans of the gun rack if there were any would be called should be called but those of you who know the answer to this question also go ahead send an email marketing at sdi.edu you tell us what this manufacturer is and we will send you some swag if you're the first one to get it right if you are listening to this on YouTube or just feel like commenting on YouTube instead of writing in an email, you can do that. Norn Desert Institute is the name of the channel. And we publish, do we publish every podcast episode now through there? Uh, yes. Yes. And we do monitor those channels, comment threads. So we should be able to uh, pick you guys up just as fast as an email or just about. So FDI.edu. 
reach out. Let us know what you think. All right, so let's talk about Sonoran Desert Institute. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school with focuses in firearms technology and unmanned technology. We're talking about drones and gunsmithing here. Accredited by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission, that is the DEAC, we offer, the school offers, one associate program, the Associate of Science and Firearms Technology, ASFT. There's also the Certificate in Firearms Technology Gunsmithing, CFTG. And then, of course, the Certificate in Unmanned Technology Aerial Systems, C-U-T-A-S. If you are interested in any of these programs or just want to know more about Sonoran Desert Institute, hop on to sdi.edu for more. All right. How's that? How's that for an ad read? I thought it sounded pretty good. Yeah. The, the nice thing about podcasting for an entity like Sonoran Desert Institute, for one thing, you, you know that your values are aligned, which is a nice plus. But on the other hand, when you are doing your ad reads, like listeners don't have to listen to an ad for Manscaped again, uh, which is pretty sweet. I'm not, uh, we're not plugging anything, but Sonoran Desert Institute, and then occasionally Zip Fizz because it's the right thing to do. That's just out of right That's out of love. Yeah. Respect. Did you, did you notice when, when Drew and I started this call, uh, Drew made a comment about my being a little more upbeat than normal. Do you know why? I'm going to venture to say it's Zip Fizz. It's Zip Fizz, baby. <laughs> I am more powerful than I have ever been, and it is thanks to Zip Fizz. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that's not an official SDI opinion, but if you want to know what fuels goblin mode, get yourself some Zip Fizz. Totally worth it. So good. Question. Drew. Yes. Who was the person that came up with the expression crop preserver and why do they still have a job? That expression well, for like on the Manscaped ads is like, it bothers me. Crop preserver. This is the first I'm hearing from it. Um, when you said crop preserver, I'm imagining a guy with like itty bitty teeny weeny like donut floats like you would toss to someone. Uh-huh. in the ocean but instead they're like throwing it out to individual sheaves of wheat <laughs> and it's a crop preserver and it's like it, you know it's a marketing exercise it's like here's this thing or it's a who's line we're like improvise this it's the crop preserver is that really is it like an attachment what the heck is a crop preserver so it is um anti-chafing deodorant okay or- into that conceptually yes yes i don't know why they refer to that as crop um and i'm not sure i want to know why goodness gracious that's yeah that's kind of odd don't get me wrong i mean if you out here six eyes save lives they truly do you walk around a bunch chafing is is one of the worst things in the world to happen to humanity that is true the just, just the worst thing so you out here with anti-chafing material, I am here for you. Um, maybe don't call it crop preserver, though. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. All right. So let's talk about some new concealed carry options for everyone's friend, Joey Methuselah Upper. Ooh. I know, a little spicy there. But we uh, seriously, we I just went through a process of selecting a new handgun i think we alluded to it in earlier episodes there's some good news some bad news there which i'm going to go ahead and share anyway some illness prevented me from taking the recondo tactical class that i think we plugged in earlier episodes and i think that was the initial intention for this week super bummer (laughs) and i had already paid for it so i just wasted a hundred bucks i'm sure they're not bad though I was about to say, it's it's going to people that I support, so I'm into it, but huge bummer there. But I am hoping that this will make up for it in, in some small way, and then I'm going to go out and put some rounds through my new concealed carry handgun, and uh, we'll do a review that way, and hopefully that'll, that'll make up the difference there. But sorry for the disappointment. Recondo is one of our most popular episodes ever already, and as soon as I am capable of bringing 
a second, a part two to that to you guys. I absolutely will. It'll just be a little longer than we hoped. Definitely a bummer. But we are replacing it with something pretty cool today. Yeah. So we're talking about concealed carry as we have been a lot lately. And actually, Drew and I were talking about, we're like, we probably should lay off concealed carry for for a hot minute. (laughs) Uh, We've done so many things in rapid succession. But this one is like, you know, sometimes we're talking about things in a hypothetical or ethereal sense. And it's fine. But this is this isn't talking about what it might be like to purchase, you know, X, Y, or Z if you were thinking about it. This is something that actually happened. So I thought walking through what that was like, what that looked like, would be of some value to you guys. If not, maybe listen anyway. We already have your downloads, dude. You're stuck <laughs> with us. So let's, you know, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and uh, and, and then you can leave and come back. And leave, clear your cash, and then come back so we get another download. And for someone that who's looking at making a you know, a firearms purchase here soon, I'm going to find this helpful. So if nothing else. Yeah. 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 So with, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit, um, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys my exact permit situation. So you guys get the context of why it took me so long to get this started. So I am in a state that recognizes non-resident permits from other states. The state that I have my permit in is Arizona, and uh, I do not live in Arizona. But when I put my application in initially, or was initially looking, there was an enormous backup of processing time in my local area. So instead of going through you know normal local in-state, in-county that application, I went with Arizona because they were reportedly moving a little faster. And so I got my concealed carry permit out of state, non-resident with Arizona, which is valid in the state where I am currently. And I'm very grateful that uh, the legislation here is such that they recognize out-of-state permits to make that possible. I say all of that because, for one thing, if you are out-of-state getting a permit you frequently will not be given the same information as those in the state because laws vary state by state, as you guys know. So if you have something like that, or if you're in, uh, I'll just use Tennessee as a reference. Tennessee is a quote unquote constitutional carry state, which means you do not need a permit to carry concealed on your person. And because of that, uh, a lot of people, the temptation could be there to not know your state and local laws for carry. You are still obligated to those laws, even if you didn't have to go through a class to get it or a class specific to your state to get it. So no matter how you get your permit, know your local laws and regulations. Because of that situation, I had to also purchase pistol purchase permits. And what that means is is fairly self-explanatory, but if I had a concealed carry in my state, that would act as my pistol purchase permit. Um, since I don't, I have an out-of-state one, I had to go back and get pistol purchase permits. But to the credit of the county in which I live, they seem to have cleared their cash wonderfully. I got an announcement on their website that said, hey, sorry about it, but it's going to be six weeks until we get these things turned around. I had it back in maybe 10 business days. That's an estimate. Um, But they turned it around very promptly. If I had known that they were going to be that dialed in, I probably would have just done my concealed carry with them. They really seem to have tightened it up, and I'm very grateful for that. So I now have, while I've been concealed carrying again for some time, I finally had the means to go out and get another concealed carry firearm. For those of you who are listening for the first time or happen to have missed the episodes where we referenced it before, my standard concealed carry handgun for the past, I, I, I don't quite remember, is the Sig Sauer C3, which is essentially a Commander 1911 chambered in 45 ACP with an officer's grip. So you're looking at six point, uh, six point, six plus one rounds of 45 ACP in a four and a quarter inch barrel. It is a 
phenomenal firearm. I'm not even a 1911 guy, like at all. I got it because uh, at the time, it was just a work of art. So, I, you know, way back when, when I got it, I was just enamored of this incredible firearm and uh, found out it was very conducive to concealed carry too. But it is a 1911, which means a couple of things. I have had zero issues reliability-wise from this handgun when shooting not remanufactured ammunition. But uh, capacity is not as strong as some others might be. It's also chambered in 45 ACP, um, and I normally prefer 9mm. And uh, 6 plus 1 rounds is just... I just don't view it to be enough. And uh, even if you have extra magazines on you, you're just adding one more variable. I'm a huge proponent of concealed carry firearms being as convenient as possible while remaining safe, because the more convenient something is, the more likely you are to actually carry that thing, which is the whole point, right? So I was thinking, okay, I have just left. This is really recent. I was like, I've just left SDI full time. I am just about to start writing for these guys and podcasting for these guys as a contractor. I want to celebrate the time I had there. And this seems the most appropriate way to do it. Let's go find something. Concealed carry seemed like a great place to go. I have some full-size handguns that I really enjoy, but I wanted to get something that I could conceal carry very comfortably with a decent capacity that I could just kind of set and forget for the foreseeable future. So I went on a, a bit of a research spree, and uh, I'll tell you guys, there are some really cool options out there right now. For those who are interested in compact firearms, semi-compact firearms, micro, fi dude, there, they are everywhere. There's been an explosion of them, and... Uh, that you know, we I think we made fun of on the podcast uh, people taking a certain build of a firearm and uh, them making slightly bigger and smaller versions to hell mm -hmm. and back. Yeah, they're really. I mean, if you are keyed into one particular spec, there is something made just to cater to you. That's really cool. Um, I think that's that's really the heart of where we are right now, the tech is so good in concealed carry firearms that you're really able to dial in on what is most important to you. And while there's no such thing as the perfect firearm, you can get really close to what's going to suit you best. So without any further ado, I'm going to go through some of the options that I looked at before making my final purchase. And uh, I will tell you guys that I looked at one, two, three, four, five, I think, handguns before I made my final choice. And it included me stopping my purchase mid-purchase at the gun counter uh, where I picked up my firearm, much to, well, not really to the annoyance. They were very cool about it, but to, to the mild <laughs> annoyance of the person there because I, I just, I pulled the trigger, no pun intended, on a one firearm. And the second I did, my heart was like, nope wrong one picked a new one but so, hey, that's an important thing to consider so you know i'm glad you did it yeah well you know sometimes you make a call on something and then the second you do it you know you made the right one or the wrong one mm -hmm. is one of those moments and i find those to be more prevalent in handgun purchases than any other space in my life that's that's the case for me i know a lot of people do that uh for you know cars you can do it with a house which is always a bummer but for me, I did come out with exactly what I was hoping for. It just ended up not being what I expected at all. So let's look at some of these options. And a lot of them actually ended up being in the striker-fired space, which is not normally my, my space at all. I'm, I'm pretty much a hammer-fired kind of lad. But let's dial up uh, a classic first and get it out of the way because I considered something that I, I never thought I would in this lifetime. Oh, uh, do you want, you want to take a guess? Was it a Glock 19? 
It was not a Glock 19, but it was in the Glock family. I did look into the Glock 26 pretty hard. Can you go ahead and dial up the specs for that one? Absolutely. Um, So while he's doing that, the reasons I thought about Glock are fairly, I mean, some of the most popular handguns in the history of humanity (laughs) as Glock chambered in nine millimeter capacity in nine millimeter is good. Um, with the 26, you're getting enough rounds, and we'll talk about capacity in just a minute, uh, to make it worth your time. And uh, they, with the 26, there's a kind of a sickness to the handgun that's not overbearing, which sounds kind of like a silly spec to focus in on. But the width of a handgun is something that I find enormously important. And the 26 does a pretty good job there. It's, you know, it's not winning a beauty pageant. Uh, but it's not supposed to. It's a concealed carry gun. So do you happen to have that up? Yes. Excellent. Uh, fire away. So fires nine millimeter. Were you looking at the black finish? I mean, it's a Glock, so I'm assuming yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, double action. The barrel length is 3.42 inches. Round capacity is 10 plus one, and it weighs 3.15 pounds. Is there any other specs 3.15. you want me to go over? 3.15 pounds? Is that... That must be loaded. Yeah, with um, a with an empty mag, it's um six hundred and ten grams. Okay, that's that's a little more. Oh, uh, yeah, mind. that's with the empty magazine, and then without a magazine at all, it's five hundred and fifty grams. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the Glock twenty six is a classic, and it had some things going for it that some other ones didn't. Uh, one thing I was trying to make sure that a concealed carry handgun had. And we're going to look at this a little bit more as things go on is barrel length. I like a good balance in a handgun and uh, I like a, the better your, the longer your sight radius is frequently the better um, unless you are a superb marksman. And if you are way to go and you don't have to be, you know, making one hole out of, you know, with five bullets for a personal defense firearm. That's not really the point. But you want to be confident that you can use it competently. Can you go ahead and list off the MSRP? MSRP? Um, and I just want to double check. Is that the subcompact? Yes. Okay. So I'm looking at guns.com right now. Let's see. Glock G26G3. They have it for $526.99. Okay. That feels uh, re- about right. And it says retail price is $599. Yeah, that feels about right. I probably should have added one of my restrictions here. Um, Capacity, I did not want to go below 10 rounds. That could include one in the chamber, but I didn't want to go below double digits. And I did not want to go above $650 before tax. Things to keep in mind as we're going through these. So we're looking at you know, if I was able to spend $0 on a handgun, that works awesome. But we're looking in that kind of mid-range uh, for a firearm here. Glock 26, that's what we're looking at. Barrel length is decent. Uh, the grip is a little short. Um, and I ended up moving past it, not because there was anything against it, but because there were things to commend other firearms. Mm-hmm. On a similar vein, the Smith & Wesson M&P 9 subcompact was one we looked at as well. This is not the shield, mind you. Shield is a single stack. The MMP9 subcompact, if you can dial that up, is a very similar to the Glock 26. Double stack capacity is comparable. Some of them come with a manual safety, which makes a lot of people happy. And they are just rock solid, reliable, just like the Glock is. I think of the MMP as being very similar to Glock in a lot of ways. And uh, the, you know, if you don't like Glock, like me, but still want to get all of the advantages of a Glock or most of them, MMP, you could do worse, right? Do you have those specs up? I think so. Uh, I just want to double check. You got the MMP M2.0 subcompact? Yes. Okay. Then I do. So, again, fires nine millimeter. Has a capacity of 12 plus one, steel plus white dot sights, not optics ready, and no thumb safety. But weight is 25 ounces, 
length is 6.6, .6, width is 1.5, and height is 4.98. What did you say the barrel length was? 3.6 inches. 3.6 inches. I think I remember that. 3.6 is kind of the sweet spot um, for a lot of these and something I thought was a huge plus for the M&P. They also have the Shield Plus right now out there which is getting a lot of love. I won't go into the specs of that one because I ended up looking at the subcompact more. Actually, the main reason I did not purchase the MMP subcompact is it was not readily available when I was looking to purchase. I would have to order it online. That was really the only thing that prevented that from being what I ended up going with. Although what I ended up with, I'm very happy with as well. I did forget um, to mention was... the MSRP on that, by the way. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. The MSRP on it, uh, according to guns.com, the retail price is $569, though they are selling it for $416.99. Sweet. Mid 400s, post-tax, you could do a lot worse. You could, you could. So that's the uh, Smith & Wesson M&P 2.09 subcompact. Now we're going to get into some weird ones. So I like two brands a lot. Pop Quiz, Drew, do you remember the ones that I talk about most on here? Uh, I'd probably say IWI is one of them. IWI is definitely one of them. Um, off the top of my head, maybe SIG? Um, SIG is not, but we are going to have a SIG in the list, and I do talk about SIG. Some CZ is the other one. Uh, um, and there is the CZ P10, I think it's the M. P10M. Go ahead and look that one up. We might actually have seven. I don't remember if I dialed that one up. The CZ P10M is a micro compact nine made by CZ. It's a striker fired handgun, and it is also not going to be winning any beauty pageants out here. This is going to be a quick one. If you can go ahead and just do the capacity on this one, I think that's why we got rid of it. Yeah, the capacity is seven plus one, so that was kind of below your. Yeah, that's what did it. But, and then the other, they have a different, I think it's the P10S is subcompact, and it was too thick. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think that's what the issue was. CZ is awesome, and the MSRP for these guys is pretty good. A lot of people, as I was doing research, were talking about, why is everyone sleeping on this, the P10 series? And uh, if you are interested in that at all, I would hardly recommend going to somewhere where you can rent a firearm. See if you can't get yourself a P10 to try out. See what you think about that. But that was one we thought about. Now, the whole thing that's, that kicked off the search for a new carry, I told you the reasoning behind it, but like the catalyst moment came from the handgun we're about to talk about right now. And this is the IWI Masada Slim. Can you look that one up? The Masada what? Slim, yep. Okay, cool. This is one I was very interested in. Available, you'd have to order it online. They're very new to the market, like capital V, very new to the market. There was one factor that eliminated this one for me, but it was a really, really cool handgun and still is. We had the opportunity to shoot the Masada at uh, the Palmetto State Armory Range Day in March. And I very much enjoyed that handgun. It's pretty well balanced. I think it has a, the base model is a 4.1 inch barrel with a 17 plus one magazine. That's off the top of my head though. I'm pretty sure that's the case, but can you go ahead and rattle that stuff off if you got it? Yes. So fires nine millimeter, semi-auto, um, yep. striker fired. Um, yep magazine capacity it looks like it's 13 uh but they also have 10 listed uh e either case that met your you know yeah it's probably compliant would be my um, guess barrel length uh 3.4 inches weight uh 1.27 pounds without magazine 1.4 pounds with magazine um three dot site msrp 450 dollars um, did it have the thickness anywhere? The the width of the gun? Let me keep looking. Okay, I'm I'll sure talk about it does. while you do that. One of the reasons I ended up not going with this firearm is the first of all, this this is a pretty solid option. If if I happen to have one at the counter, I might have walked away with it. 
but the barrel length I was trying to get as long as possible. This one was a little bit shorter. And I was a little concerned about holster availability because of how new the firearm was. Now, there are lots of places out there that have these things pretty much as soon as they're off the uh, proverbial shelves. But I like to get weird hipster holsters, and I wanted to get something that was capable of that. And so barrel length, uh, time it would take to get to me, and then holster availability were the big limiters here. But the price in the mid 400s for something from IWI. I would buy a toothbrush from IWI for 450 bucks. <laughs> That's such a good value. IWI makes such good firearms. If you are looking at a mid capacity firearm, this is a really cool option, I think. And I would strongly recommend uh, either the Masada itself or this Masada Slim as options for you guys. The sweet spot for me, capacity-wise, is really in that 10 to 12 zone. It prevents the grip from getting too long, which is something we'll talk about uh, before too long here. But that's that's essentially all that went into that decision. Do you ever find the, the width on that thing? If not, we can let it go. On the slim, I believe it's 1.02 inches. That's, I believe that's correct. Huge. Uh, I mean, that, that's a little gun there. So huge plus. Uh, for me, was the width of this firearm. The length of how tall the firearm was was not a plus for me, but it is, it's not bad either. So Masada Slim, definitely worth a shot if you are interested in looking at it at all. Um, so we've done the Glock 26. We've done the MMP uh, MMP9 subcompact uh, 2.0. We have done the Masada Slim. We did the CZP10M. That brings us to four, I think. We've got three more. We're up to seven now. Sorry. <laughs> but I am just remembering them. And then the seven is the final answer, though. We have one more from Smith & Wesson. We have one from Sig Sauer. And we have one from, of all places, Kimber. Oh. Um, yeah. So the... One I'm going to eliminate, by the way, is, and one that briefly entered the conversation, is the Taurus G, I just call them the G anything, G2, G3, G, G4. Their, Taurus makes a good striker-fired handgun. They do. For whatever reason, in my hands, I have not found that they fit right. The trigger goes back to a point where it hurts my finger, at least on the G2. And that's why I eliminated them. It might be that the the newer ones, that's not an issue at all. But don't sleep on Taurus ever, really, at this point. Uh, people like to poke fun at them. Those days are gone. They are they are not what they used to be. And they make some pretty cool carry handguns at this point. So Taurus, go check them out sometime. Let's talk about the Kimber R7. Uh, the Kimber R7 Mako is also not going to be winning any beauty pageants. Um, the, it, it's not a very attractive firearm. A lot of people poke fun at Kimber because they are a 1911 manufacturer. And a lot of people, they have a, when I was first getting into handguns, Kimber had a reputation for being Mercedes-Benz-ish. This is where you go to get fancy 1911s, right? If you're artisanal, go get yourself a Kimber. But the more I got into the firearms community, the more I heard people say, hey, Kimbers don't, they're not reliable. Kimber 1911s don't work right. And while I always thought it would be kind of cool to own a Kimber because it's, it does have some brain recognition. Once I got my hands on the Sig Sauer C3, it was like, why bother? Honestly, I already, I already have the best 1911 I will ever want. Why, you know, move over to Kimber? I've got a, you know, I've got that quality right here, right now. Um, but the Kimber R7 Mako is a radical departure from those 1911s. Do you have the specs up? Yes. Go ahead and read them off. So 9mm has a height of 4.3 inches, a weight without magazine of 19.5, a length of 6.2, uh, a width at the grip of 1 inch, and its magazine capacity flush is 11 plus 1. 
11 plus one is a pretty sweet spot. Did they have the barrel length in there? Not on this particular site. I can look that up. Okay. So we're right in that sweet spot for capacity. I really like the 10 to 12 range, especially with this, the, the 365, the SIG P365 and a half kind of vibe that's been out there has really made that 10 to 12 capacity magazine. Uh, the, the chassis around it is just exactly the right size. This one comes into that. The reason I did not go with this one in particular, and whenever you find the barrel length, um, if you happen to see the MSRP, do that as well. But I remember it falling correctly within the price guidelines that I had set out for myself. The big one for me for this one was, I believe it was barrel length. Uh, when 3.37 inches. 3.37 inches. Yep. We went with something a little bit longer at the end of the day. Basically, philosophically, the commander, the, the C3 that I have with the commander barrel and the officer grip, philosophically is, is where I'm at for concealed carry. I want the longest barrel I can get while comfortably concealing in the shortest grip I can have without sacrificing too much capacity or balance. And a lot of these are very similar lengthwise as they are heightwise. Makes for kind of a boxy handgun, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, my priorities are a little bit different. As a bigger dude, the the less grip I have to hide, the easier life is for me. Uh, pretty significant part of that search for me is is baked into that. It's it's kind of embarrassing to put weight into reasons that you're picking X, Y, or Z, but that is the truth. And you want to be honest with yourself when you're considering concealed carry. So barrel length was, was an eliminating factor. I did, I believe I picked this one up at the store, held it, and uh, it was kind of cool, actually. Um, this is not one I went, I did a you know deep dive, lots of review videos and written pieces about a lot of these. This is not one of those, but I thought it was an interesting pickup because Kimber is just not known for that kind of thing. We also have a written piece on it on our website, if I'm not mistaken. It's a Mako? Yeah, because didn't George do an article on that? Oh my gosh, he did. Go check that out. <laughs> FBI to EDU news tab. Check out the Kimber R7 Mako. He might have even more insights than my flailing around audibly. So that was <laughs> different medium. Different medium. Different medium. Different medium for sure. That's the Kimber R7 Mako. So we're really down to two options here. And I will tell you that these two I'm about to list off are the two. I picked one, got it to the purchase counter, halfway through stopped, and went to the other one. So these are the final two contenders for that. One is the Sig Sauer P365XL. Can you go ahead and dial that one up? P365XL. Um, XL, yep. Now, we did an episode poking fun at the P365, the XL macro. I believe so. Um, SIG really likes to add words <laughs> to their base model <laughs> of firearm. The 365, the first one, when it, the original P365, for all of the, the digging on it gets for, there were concerns about drop safety at one point, I think there was a recall, but that's I don't have that in front of me, so I'm not going to say that for sure. For all of that, this ridiculously tiny firearm with a 10 plus 1 capacity redefined the micro-compact market, especially in 9, 9 millimeter. And SIG is right to try to capitalize on that even more. The biggest problem, a lot of people that I shoot with, people that I know, and people that know what they're talking about more than people that should be doing this podcast instead of me complain um, that people they work with, um, people that shoot the firearm themselves, very rarely do they find someone that take this, this really excellent in terms of concealability handgun and comfortably and happily operate it. It's just too small for so many people. I think it's actually a pretty aesthetically pleasing gun. It's not very gainly, especially if you've got really big hands like I do. But the P365 base was never an option for me. So they created just one step bigger. And by step, I mean really half a step. 
Can you go ahead and read the specs off for this one? Again, nine millimeter, double action, has a barrel length of 3.7 inches, round capacity 12 plus one, it weighs 20.8 ounces. The weight is 20 plus seven ounces, and overall width is 1.1 inch. 1.1 inch. And I can tell you, not all written handgun widths are created equal. Um, this is an extremely thin firearm. Uh, very small. Uh, it scratches a lot of the itches for me, right? 3.7 inch barrel is significantly longer, 10% longer than a lot of these other ones we've been talking about, right? That's uh, hugely important to me. Uh, it's got double round capacity without being an oversized grip. It's just a hair longer than the 365 was, um, or is, I should say. It's not like it died somewhere. And it's the sights on it are super interesting. They're night sights, but they're like... Uh, when you pick this thing up and you you aim down uh, during the day, the rear posts are very muted. They're not blacked out, but they're very. It's like what <laughs> I, I held it up once. I was like, "What in the world is going on?" And then at night and dark, it just pops up this mm. beautiful, vibrant night sight. It's just great. So their sight system really solid. I found that when I wrapped my hand around the grip of this firearm, I was just barely all the way on. I think Pinky is grossly underrated as, as something to be paying attention to, this kind of thing. I think you really should be able to get some purchase with your Pinky. It's just a really solid iteration of a firearm that, I, in my personal opinion, was just a little too small the first time. Uh, capacity's good. Barrel length's good. Sight's solid. And, of course, there's availability in holsters, too, because the P365 family is just going gangbusters up in here. So that was option one. Option two is the Smith & Wesson CSX, which I think we've referenced before. I know for a fact we shot it at the range day in March as well. Um, can you go ahead and dial that one up? The Smith & Wesson CSX. So the Smith & Wesson CSX, is a very small hammer-fired handgun, single action only, uh, chambered in nine millimeter. It comes in 10 plus one or 12 plus one round. The 12 plus one magazine is like a bajillionth of an inch longer than the 10 plus one. If you go on and read reviews, everyone's like, forget the 10 plus one, just go 12 plus one. <laughs> it's better. Um, the it is a very compact handgun and uh, fell within our price range here. Um, a lot of people, uh, or one YouTube review in particular that I was thinking of um, when I was researching, I spent a lot of time with these two. One of them posed the question at the beginning, why make the CSX when you already have the Shield Plus? Shield Plus kicks wholesale butt. It's so good. And the Shield is, you know, as successful as any of them out there, why go and do a hammer fired? And then at the end of the video, he said, why have the shield plus when you have the CSX? Like, what's the, what's the, yeah, he was so pleased with it. I was like, why even bother with the shield plus? You've got this ridiculously awesome handgun can change, just totally change the way you carry. So do you happen to have those specs up? Yes. So the weight is 19.5 ounces uh, the length is 6.1 the width is 1.12 and the height is 4.6 yeah very small handgun do you happen to have the barrel length they do not but i can look it up for you 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 keep looking i'll keep talking so the 10 plus one the 12 plus one difference is microscopic but for whatever reason and this wasn't even just a me thing a lot of reviewers online found that the 12 plus one not only for capacity was great but it also gave that pinky purchase however when i was holding this handgun and again we've talked about this before many times on the podcast i have really big hands and the biggest part of my hands is the palm 
I've got normal length fingers on NFL sized palm of hand. Uh, they look super insecure about my hands is the point. Um, but this one, I was concerned about pinky hanging off and it was when I, when I got my hand around it, it was just hanging on for dear life at the very bottom. Do you happen to find the barrel length? 3.1. 3.1. So this one is, it just straight up is smaller than the 365 XL. So those were the two options I got down to at the store. Both are excellent. I mean, there's not a single one of these that I looked at and was like, yeah, I'm not, not only am I not going to use this, but no one else ever should. That that never entered the equation. And if you happen to see any of these and you're looking for confirmation bias, uh, here it is. <laughs> They're all really good <laughs> options. But our second episode in this series should probably be a little shorter than this one is going to talk about why we ended up with the one we did. And then we're going to dial that one up on the range before too long. We'll do a review there. I hope you guys found this a little helpful in your experience. We're going to wrap this experience up next time. Yeah, for now, that is we're going to put pause on the concealed carry search. Leaving them on a cliffhanger. Leaving them on a cliffhanger. If you want resolution, it's this. There are now more options for double action, single action, striker fired, technically double action. You get what I'm talking about. Handguns out there than ever before. And in that space, you can really dial in what is important to you. And even when you dial in what's important to you, you will still have options. <laughs> I mean, that's how cool is that? We're, we are living in a golden age of availability for these firearms. And while it is, I think it is so important to be able to support local shops and businesses, um, there are, you have the resources of just a whole country in a lot of cases to pick your firearms out. If you cannot purchase locally, if I may recommend shipping to your local FSL so that they get the transfer fee at least. But that is your conclusion for today. Whatever your style, whatever you have come to love, there's something for you. And it's probably reasonably priced too. If you have a particular priority that goes above all else, if you need a, a super budget handgun, go with a Taurus, uh, G2 or G3, even a G4. If you are super focused on size, go get a 365. You know, if you just care about having something that is single action hammered fire, the CSX is out there. And on and on it goes forever. It's so encouraging to see where this business has gone. All of these gun companies are fighting for your dollar, and that can only mean good things for you. So that's the conclusion for this episode. How's that go? Is that better? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So before we get out of here for the day, we're going to talk about Sonoran Desert Institute one more time. And uh, we already did a little bit of a plug for it, so I'm just going to lean into it. George... Demopoulos, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He's a good friend. Awesome writer for SDI. He does a lot of our guest writing here at the school. He did a piece on the Kimber R7 Mako. That would be worth your time if you are curious about taking the next step in uh, finding a new concealed carry handgun for yourself. So if you hop onto the news tab under SDI.edu, you should I'm hoping it's published. That's that's more of a Drew thing than me. But uh it should be there. Check out the Kimber R seven Mako, get that spec sheet, and do a little more research on your next step in in the world of firearms. That is the Kimber R seven Mako and that is SDI.edu. Check out the news tab. There's loads of stuff for you. Now, before we walk out of here today, we need to do some tales from the range. What do we have today? I did also just want to confirm real quick that article is up. So give it a give it a look. Very good. Give it a look. Do it. Do it now. Um, now. So this comes to us from Reddit. These next couple will. I actually originally had these sort of written up for like, you know, last 
bit of October and I kind of just forgot to put them all in there for a special. So these are more uh, gun range horror stories, cautionary tales. And this comes to us from uh, UGA Bama Law, which they're both a Georgia Bulldog and Alabama Crimson Tide fan. I'm very confused. Duality of man. Yes. I saw someone uh, who was a fan of both the Eagles and the Cowboys, and that people oh, were losing no, their minds. Aren't. No, they aren't. I, I can't explain it. But anyway, over the past couple of years, I've read several horror stories about the complete lack of safety. Se- about the complete lack of safety. Several people have experienced at their non-range officered public ranges. The range I frequent is a public range in the middle of a national forest, but I've never seen anything obviously stupid or dangerous until this past weekend. So at the end of a ceasefire, a guy at the end of the range announced that he had set up a Tannerite target for us to not be surprised when it blows. Now, I know this is illegal at this range, which, side note, probably should have been, uh, you know, your first hint to get out of there or tell someone. Yeah, maybe scoot. Yeah. Um, he says, now I know this is illegal at this range, but he was only a hundred yard rifle range. So I figured, what could it hurt? Just a little boom, no big deal. Not to mention the police would have been over 30 minutes away. And I didn't really feel like getting into it with this kid. Anyways, two or three minutes after firing started up again, I see slash feel slash hear the explosion coming from 15 lanes down the range. This guy had set up the block of Tannerite about 25 feet in front of the range. So his clothes were covered in a layer of dust. And he says, if it had not been for my safety glasses, I would have gotten debris in my eye. Needless to say, the other patrons were not pleased. I hoofed it out of there and haven't been back there since. Which, again, I'm going to put that on you, dude. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, I mean, very not good. Having Tanrite 25 yards from you on a public range. Where yeah, no doubt. That's no illegal. doubt. But if you see anything hinky like that in a range where there is no authority there, just remove yourself from the situation. Yes. Um, just go ahead and get on out of there. Live to fight another day. I'm glad this guy was okay. Don't be an idiot and put Tanrite up at a public range. Fun as Tanrite may be, it's not the right time or place. I will. Right, I will so. say the stories get a little scarier from there. So, okay. uh, yeah. Oh well, folks, stay tuned next week for creepier tales from the range with our good friend Drew Poplin. For now, ladies and gentlemen, that is the gun rack. Have fun out there. We will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.